We finished up this, the, the, uh, the Exodus story. The Old Testament is centered around two main stories, two central stories. They both start with E, the Exodus and the exile. Now, the Exodus, that, that's one that we're more familiar with. We've seen Ten Commandments. We've seen Prince of Egypt. We've heard about the parting of the waters and that whole story. story of the Israelites being freed from slavery in Egypt. That is a story that we have some familiarity with and, and the development of the nation of Israel. There's some kind of familiarity with that. But the exile, most of us are, are much less familiar with that piece. What is the exile? I didn't know about the concept of the exile. I hadn't even heard the word until I was in seminary. Until I was in graduate school for theological studies. That's when I learned what the exile was and its significance. See, that's how dumb I am. So, so this, the Exodus exile is an essential part of the Old Testament story. The second half of the Old Testament, the majority of the prophets are all about interacting with, talking about the exile story. It is pretty difficult to overstate the significance of the exile as a part of the whole shebang, as a part of the Old Testament story. That's why we're going to spend four weeks on it. And over the next four weeks, we are going to look at, including today, we're going to look at the divided kingdom. The next week is called pre-exile, then the event, then post-exile. With titles like that, how could you not want to go to church? I mean, those are riveting, riveting titles. You share those titles with your friends and your coworkers and your family members who don't come to church, and they're going to say, I will be there. Next week, you're talking about pre-exile? Woo-hoo. Okay. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this, is, this is a significant part of the whole shebang. It's part of the story. It's part of our story. And there are things that we can learn from it. You agree? All right, let's jump in. Let's jump into this here. Uh, I invite you to go to uh, exactly where we left off last week, First Kings, chapter twelve. Last week we looked at First, King, First Kings, chapter eleven, and we are going to jump into uh, chapter twelve now. The divided kingdom is what the message is, is entitled this morning, and the reason it's called the divided kingdom is that. The story from here until the exile, it's a 350-year period. And in this 350 years, the mighty nation of Israel was divided into the north and the south. In the north, it was, uh, it was named Israel. In the south, it was named Judah. For 350 years, the nation was divided. What we're going to look at here as we begin this morning is the first two leaders of the north and the south, two gentlemen named Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Now, my confusion with this story, as I have uh, remember this story, is the unfortunate reality that these two names sound almost identical. I've always struggled with that. These two names, it's, it's kind of like Rick Nash and Steve Nash. I always get those two mixed up. One is a very good Canadian hockey player, and one's a very good Canadian basketball player, and, and, and I, and, or, or the other way around. I can't remember. And, and so it's not, these names can sometimes trip you up, but what you need to know is that there are two guys. Uh, Jeroboam was a man of influential leadership. What that meant is that he led people and people followed him. He had influence over people. Rehoboam, on the other hand, he had positional leadership. 
What that meant was he was the son of Solomon. So based on, on uh, his bloodline, he had positional leadership to be the king. What happened after Solomon died is the issue of who was going to be king. And this is the story that we jump into at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1. Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, went to Shechem, for all the Israelites had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, who had, who had um, influential leadership, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. What, it, what it's referring to in that... Uh, in those brackets is a little story that happens in chapter 11. You can look at it another time. But Jeroboam was increasing in influential leadership to the point where he was a threat to Solomon. And Solomon uh, didn't want him to be around anymore, so Solomon threatened his life, and Jeroboam had to take off and go hide in Egypt. And here he's coming back now that Solomon has died. Uh, let's see, verse 3. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father, Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor, labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. This is huge. This is a huge turning point or moment in, in the story with regard to the to the divided kingdom. Because here Jeroboam comes back, and he has the opportunity and the authority to take half of the kingdom. That's what we read in chapter 11. He has the opportunity to take half of the kingdom, and he says, I won't do it, Rehoboam, son of Solomon. I won't do it if you will, will lead us well. Lead us with mercy. If you do that, we will serve you. That was a powerful opportunity he presented for Rehoboam. Verse 5. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days, then come back to me. So the people went away. That's a wise decision. I need a little bit of time to think about it. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the load your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, tell these people who have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Yeah! Woo! A little bit of group think going on there. A little bit of sort of young guys going, we are so tough. Hoo, hoo. That's going on there. Guess who Rehoboam followed? He followed his young buddies. He did not follow the advice of the elders. He followed his young buddies. What would you have done in that situation? What do you typically do in a situation like that? He followed the advice of his young buddies. And uh, as a result, the mighty nation of Israel divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The north became Israel. The south became 
Judah, and they were divided for 350 years. Now, I was trying to think, as in preparation for this morning, I was trying to think of some kind of modern-day illustration that would represent a, a difference or a, or a rivalry between a north and a south um, that would be relevant for, um, for today. <laughs> So, settle down, people, people. So I wanted to, uh, to kind of paint a picture for you of an idea of, of the north being separated from the south simply by a border. So you have in the, in the north, you have uh, 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 represented by Canada here in this little illustration is the as uh, the nation of Israel and I am uh, kind of up north above Marshall kind of up kind of up on a podium kind of thing <laughs> sort of see a, a vision of this in the near future uh, standing on a podium above the uh, the southern uh, uh, section and then you have Marsh representing the uh, representing the South, which is where yeah. Now, the Bible story uh, continues through through uh, the rest of First uh, Kings into Second Kings and Chronicles, and it tells uh, ongoing stories of the different kings from each of these nations. And uh, it's over the 350 year period. It, it period it tells the stories of these kings and what. What the Bible does is it decides whether each of those kings did right in the eyes of the Lord or did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, in the southern kingdom, represented by the United States, uh, guess how many of the 20 kings did, did right in the eyes of the Lord? How many of the 20? Seven is very close. It was eight. It was eight. Eight of the kings. Guess how many in the northern kingdom did right in the eyes of the Lord? Zero. This is where the illustration breaks down. This, this is clearly, yeah, no illustration's perfect. No, so, so just to kind of let Marsh off the hook so he doesn't have to stand there for the whole time, uh, if, uh, assuming, of course, this is a hypothetical modern-day illustration here, if you were to cheer for one of these, which of you would be cheering for the northern kingdom in a hypothetical situation like this? All right. All four of us are going to have to get together this afternoon. That's, that's, uh, th thanks, Dad. Literally. Thanks, Dad. And then uh, which of you, if there's anybody left, would cheer for the southern kingdom on a situation? All right. Yeah. Get out of here. Get out of here. All right. We'll see uh, what my mood is next Sunday uh, in terms of this whole deal. So... So uh, uh, we, we have a, um, a division, the divided kingdom. As I've been prepping for uh, this message here today, and yes, I'm going to continue wear the jersey, whether you like it or not. Uh, as I've been prepping for this part of the whole shebang, I've, I've been uh, asking myself, what is the significance of the divided kingdom? Why did the kingdom have to divide? 
prior to the exile. Because the exile story, this is what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. The exile story is that God said to his people through the prophets, change your ways. You're drifting further and further and further from me. You are worshiping other gods. Change your ways. Love me. Love each other. This is what I've designed you for. I've set you up as a nation. I want to present myself to the world through you. Change your ways. And the people of God kept on saying, no, 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 doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Prophets saying, change your ways or you're going to get wiped out. You're going to get removed from the land that God gave you. And the exile story is that eventually they were. They were distributed. They were exiled from their, from their place, from the mighty city of God, from Jerusalem. They were exiled. And then it's the story of hope and restoration and rebuilding. That's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. That's the story of the exile. That story doesn't require Israel to have divided into the north and south. This story of, of change your ways and why the divided kingdom? This is a significant part of the Old Testament story through Kings and through Chronicles. Why the divided kingdom? I think the significance of the divided kingdom is that internal division so often happens before the fall. Internal division so often precedes the demise. Think about this great nation. Okay? You know, I'm wearing a Canadian shirt, but think about, the, the, think about the, this great nation of the United States. When is, uh, is it the weakest? When is she the weakest? When there's internal division, when there's internal fighting, when the Republicans and the Democrats can't uh, come together in, in, in a way to make a decision. You look at the most precarious moment in the history of the United States, and it was in the 1860s when there was a group of 11 states in the, in the southern part of the United States, the Confederates, who said, we, because of the slavery issue, we no longer want to be a part of the United States. We want to separate from the United States. The American Civil War was the most disastrous time for the history of the United States between 1861 and 1865. You, you know this. You, you, you're in school here. Yeah, uh, 620,000 people. That is a low estimate of the number of deaths in the Civil War. 620,000 people. That remains more people than all, more people lost than all the other war, wars that the U.S. was involved in combined. Just a picture for that is that in the last seven years with the, with the uh, uh, war on Iraq, about 4,400 uh, soldiers have died, 4,400 people. The American Civil War, 620,000 people died. When there's internal division, when we are split from among ourselves, that is disastrous. And that's what leads to the fall. It's what leads to the demise. See, that's what happens in marriage. See, a, a person in a covenant relationship with somebody doesn't wander off into relationships with other men or with other women when there is a unity and a connection at home. There is internal division that precedes those kinds of decisions in a marriage. And that's what happens in a church as well. The church is designed to be the bride of Christ. It is in this place that we are supposed to hear transforming stories of people who, who say, God spoke to me on a Sunday, and now I'm a non-smoker. 
We're supposed to hear those stories here. We're supposed to experience celebrations of transformation. God wants to change the world through His bride, through a community of believers that get excited about Him. But the church is notorious for internal division. We fight about and struggle with and disagree on so many things within the church. It's ridiculous. We almost look for ways to be divisive within the church. I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm talking about so often in the, in the church overall. Music's too loud. Music's too worshipy. Hands up too much. Uh, uh, there, there's not enough Bible. We need to have more Bible. There's too much Bible. You're just always reading the Bible all the time. Yoga in the park, yoga in church, that is terrible. I can't handle that. Uh, it is issues of, of once saved, always saved. It is issues of uh, baptism is a necessity for salvation. It is, it is issues of, of how often do we do communion, etc. These, these fights and these battles, they go, on, they go on and on. It's ridiculous. This week I was, um, I was searching. I was actually testing the, uh, the availability of Mountain Park on, on, on a search engine find out how Mountain Park would be discovered. And, and as I went on there, uh, the fourth one down, as you pump in Mountain Park, was a website that I'd never heard of. It's called churchraider.com. Churchraider.com. The design of this website is that people would have the opportunity to rate a church or a pastor or an experience and share that with, with other people. So I, I clicked on this, uh, and I thought it must be a different Mountain Park. I was surprised to find out that Mountain Park was on this website, that it had been rated. It had been rated two times. And both those times, our rating, uh, your rating, was a one out of five. Both times. Now, the first one, uh, someone just uh, went on and on about a struggle in student ministry and all the changes that have gone on over the past few years, and, and there's changes in student ministry, and, and just kind of wah, 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 ring, there's the whole thing. Second one. Things change. Things, we have a great student ministry right now, great student union. Things change. Things were awesome here. They're awesome. In the past, things are awesome now. And then the second person uh, visited here once on Christmas Eve. How many of you were here on Christmas Eve this year? Okay, good, good number of you. So you know what this person was talking about. I want to read just a section of this person's... Just happened to have it with me. Uh, this is just a part of it. It was by far the worst Christmas Eve experience I had ever, I've ever endured. Not only was the music predictable and tired, sorry, Captain America, uh, uh, the, uh, the entire service was nothing but a commercial for attending the church on a regular basis. It was like turning on your TV to a show that you usually enjoy only to have to endure an infomercial. There was this big video that the pastor and staff made a big deal about. All of the young people were laughing at how dumb it was. Now, uh, this, this was the trailer that we showed for the whole shebang, which has been a pretty exciting journey over the past. So this this, this person's uh, take on this. The only people who seemed to be at all into the video were the old people. That's what I'm, I'm reading. But they seemed to like the pastor. He seems like an old, silly man in a young man's body. he calling silly? That's, that's what I, my thought on that, dear deal. That's word for word. Now, now please, please don't go to churchraider.com and share your two bits on this. In fact, I think churchraider.com is a stupid idea. 
I, I just think it's a ridiculous, not, not just because we got an average of one out of five. Uh, I, I just think it's a terrible, divisive journey. Who's more likely to go to something like that? Somebody who's got a rift. Somebody who's, who's, got an, who's got an issue who's going to go after this. It is cowardly conversation is what it is. Because it's somebody throwing darts from a distance at things that, that, they're, that they're struggling with. It is, it is a, a, a vehicle for divisiveness. And that's not what God's church is to be about. God's church is not supposed to be divided in the north and the south or the east and the west or the whatever. The church of God has roots and foundations. We are a part of the church of God and its roots are about unity, are about people coming together and celebrating what we have in common more than all the things that we can say are different amongst each other doesn't mean we all have to think the same. I know some of you think and have, have theological places that are different than mine. That's great. You're welcome here. We're welcome together. You're wrong, but we're welcome here. <laughs> Just kidding. That, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to argue. But, but, this, but internal divisiveness will destroy us. Internal divisiveness happens before the fall. What happens with internal divisiveness is we get confused with regard to who the enemy is. And we start to see the one that we are supposed to be in community with, the one that we are supposed to love, we see that person or group of people as the enemy instead of the real enemy. I want to invite our representative of the South uh, to come up. And I'm asking Marsh to read a section of Scripture. It's in 1 Kings chapter 15. Jump to verse, uh, chapter 15 now. Oh, I thought he was getting higher ground. <laughs> That's later. <laughs> That's the... He's going to read from 1 Kings chapter 15. And the reason I'm asking him to read this is this is a part of the story. Again, uh, Kings and Chronicles, they walk through the story of the kings back and forth. What happens in the north? What happens in the south? What happens in the north? This is a story of what happens in the south. And so I thought it'd kind of help visually for uh, sort of Marsh to read this. This is the story of one of the kings named Asa. There was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, throughout their reigns. Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Okay, let me just uh, cut, it, cut in there for a second. Just, just as a reminder, we are generations away from Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And there, there are two new kings, Basha in the north and Asa in the south, and now they're fighting. Asa then took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace. He entrusted it to his officials <laughs> and sent them to Ben-Hadad, son of Tabrimon, the son of Hazion, the king of Aram, who was ruling at Damascus. I practiced. <laughs> Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you a gift of silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Outstanding. Thank you. So, let me recap here. We have, we have Asa, who is in a fight, who's in the south, in a battle against his own people, against his own Jewish people in the north. He's getting confused as to who the enemy is. And so Asa takes gold and silver out of the temple in Jerusalem, out of the, the spiritual 
center of, of his people, takes gold and silver out of that, gives it to the king of Aram, the enemy, and says, I'm going to ally with you against my own people. This, this, is, this is messed up. This is confusing who the enemy is. Asa allies with the enemy against his own people. When there is internal division, we get confused as to who the enemy is. Let me remind you that in the whole shebang, there are three characters. There's God, the creator, the pursuer, and the character number one. Character number two is us. We are the beloved, the people that he wants to have a restored relationship with. And the third character is the enemy. That third character, all he is interested in is creating division between characters one and two. Creating division for our goal to love God and love others. The enemy wants to create division in our efforts to love God and division in our efforts to love others. He is the enemy, but we get confused as to who the enemy is. And, and, and what happens, what we see in the story of Asa is that Asa makes an ally with the enemy. And when we get into a bad place, what we do is we make agreements, vows, commitments with the enemy. Now, we're not, it's not going to be as blatant as this story here. It is a much more subtle thing. It shows up when we say, when we get hurt in a relationship, and then we make a vow, and we say, I'm never going to love again. I'm never going to trust someone again. I am going to stand firm on that. When we do that, we are making an agreement with the enemy against the one that we are to love. When we say, I am never going to do a small group experience again. They, I didn't trust them. It didn't work out, whatever. I am never going to enter into a, a deep relationship with somebody. I am never going to talk to my mom, talk to my dad, talk to my kids again. I'm done. Those are agreements with the enemy. This story in 1 Kings chapter 15 is also told in Chronicles. Chronicles, which comes after Kings is another version of the whole story of the monarchy, of the kings. That there is one version of the story that is Samuel and kings. There's another version of the story that is the Chronicles. It's just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four versions of the story of Jesus. And in the version of this story of Asa in Chronicles, you can look it up another time, Second Chronicles chapter 16, there is a prophet who shows up in that version of the story who says, Asa, you have done a foolish thing. So as a result, you from now on will be at war. You've done a foolish thing by making an ally with the enemy and you will continue to be at war with the one you're supposed to be in relationship with. Now we do a foolish thing when we make an agreement, when we make an ally with the enemy with lies we against the ones that we are to be in relationship with. As I finish up here this morning, uh, talk about the uh, divided kingdom, I want to go into the New Testament, see how this beautifully carries into the New Testament. I want to look real quickly at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And as you're looking for that, I just want to tell you um, what, what my daughter did uh, last night. Late, late at night, I was, I was working on this. I was actually looking at this section right here, Matthew chapter 12. And uh, my, my daughter woke up uh, late and she, you know, the whole couldn't sleep, sweet little thing. She crawls up on my lap and uh, and and um, 
It's late at night. It's just the two of us. And, and she crawls up on my lap and then grabs my Bible and pulls it on top of both of us and says, read it. And, uh, and then uh, I read this section. And then I said, do you notice that the words are different colors in my Bible, that, that, that the words are different colors? And I said, what, what color is that? And she said, red. She's four. And uh, I said, do you know why some words are in red? And she said, no. I said, those are the words of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. And, she, and then she said, so did God say the words in black? Which I thought was an interesting question. <laughs> and then she said, oh, that's because Jesus had a red pencil. That, that was her conclusion on that. These are the words of Jesus. These are the words of the Messiah, the Redeemer, the King of Kings. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. These are the red words of Jesus. He says, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Jesus and any Jew who would hear those words would instantly hear the echoes from 350 years of a divided, mighty kingdom that led to the downfall of Israel, that led to the exile story. 350 years, they would have jumped back to that. Every kingdom, every city, every household divided against itself, will not stand. The significance of the divided kingdom as part of the, the whole shebang is that internal division precedes the fall. It happens before the demise of the relationships that we are supposed to be building with one another. And what happens is we get confused with this. We get confused as to who the enemy is. We make an enemy out of the ones that we are to be in covenant with, that we are to be in relationship with. That's not our enemy. Uh, for those of you who are married, your spouse is not your enemy. You need to know that. You need to, some of you, maybe in a joking way, would say that this morning. Some of you, in a very deep, spiritual way, need to know your spouse is not your enemy. If you're divorced, your ex is not your enemy. Though so often there are children involved in the whole thing. Your ex is not your enemy. There is an enemy who wants to continue to create more and more division in your relationships. Let these people be an ally. If it, Students, uh, there's only a few here in this celebration. There'll be more in the next. Uh, your parents are not your enemy. Just absorb that. I know they're not cool. They're not funny. They don't understand. And, and uh, uh, they listen to weird music and the whole thing. But they are not your enemy. Let's not create division where there's supposed to be unity. Because that will lead to the demise. That's why we have students once a month, the last Sunday of every month, students come and join us so that we can be together. There aren't two different churches here. We are, we are together in this, in, in, this, in this experience. May we not be a divided church. May we experience the beauty of unity in the relationships that God has given us. Would you bow your heads? I'd love to pray with you. Father, 
I pray that you would uh, bring to mind right now relationships that you would like to restore unity in. Maybe there are, there are friendships uh, within this church, maybe some leadership battles, two different people who want two different things. And God, I pray that you would protect us from the division that can so often happen among your followers. Father, I pray that as we wrestle with division in, in our own lives, God, that we would not listen to the, to the, to the, to the young voices as, we, uh, as Rehoboam experienced. Those who would say, oh, just, just leave him, leave her, leave them. Forget about them. But God, we would listen to the wisdom in the story from the elders that says that if, if we would serve, that's the antidote to this division that we would simply serve others, that we would serve our wives and our husbands. Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve as a model that that's how we are to, to have restored relationships with one another. May we not be a divided church. May we not be a divided community. Come, draw us together as we are all drawn more and more to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.